Welcome to Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. I'm Adam. And this is Jeremy. And we are uh, here to discuss X-Men 32, the May 1967 issue. And um, if you're reading along in your omnibuses, this is an omnibus volume two. Wow. Yep. And on the cover, we have... None other than the Juggernaut, and he has broken the beast's back and is working on tearing off the angel's wing. Yeah, he's kicking some serious ass here. And that's really all that's going on. Well, actually, it looks like he's busted through a wall. Iceman and Angel are out for. The, I'm sorry, Iceman and Marvel Girl are out for the count, and uh, Cyclops is reaching forward. This issue, as we enter the first page, is titled "Beware the Juggernaut, My Son." Yes, which is an interesting title. I'm not sure if it's a reference to something or... No, I'm not sure either. Some classic literature title. Yeah. Beware the Juggernaut, My Son. Or is it the Jabberwocky that they mentioned last issue? I don't know. Maybe we're going to meet uh, the Professor's long-lost son or Cyclops's long-lost son. Hmm. Well, we know who both of those are, so I don't think so. <laughs> So as we open up the book, uh, we find kind of a cool splash panel and some long explanation, which we don't really need to go into. Uh, but it's the crew, the X-Men crew is at the Coffee Agogo, and there's a silhouette of the Juggernaut outside the window with evil Spider-Man eyes. <laughs> That's true. They are Spider-Man eyes. <laughs> and again, there's a lot of dialogue about why Werner Roth decided to do this, but it doesn't really matter in my opinion. Yeah, it's just a neat splash page. Yeah, and uh, the the story starts off with basically a uh, birthday for uh, Iceman, right? Or is it or is it Zelda? No, it's it's Iceman. Okay, he's turning eighteen. Yep, he's a man now, so he can go off to war. Yeah, and he can vote, and he can smoke cigarettes. Oh, and I think he can probably drink booze, right? Because it's the sixties. Uh, the whole gang is there, and... Well, no, the whole gang is not there. Uh, Warren is not there yet. Oh, okay, you're right. And before we forget, uh, it's edited by Stanley. Actually, yeah, he says it's uh, it says Stanley proudly presents and even edits, so now he's gone from editing to mostly presenting. Uh, Roy Thomas Werner Roth, Cataclysmic Co-Production, inked by John Tartaglioni. Oh! <laughs> I've been practicing. <laughs> Letter by Artie Simic, and... I'm imagining you at home. Tartaglioni, Tartaglioni, Tartaglioni. I've been staring at myself in the mirror. I did it! Uh, and it's catered by Honest Irv. Hooray! And we move in to the book. They're cutting the cake, and Bernard, the poet, shows up at the table. Last time we saw Bernard, he was trying to get a cup of espresso from the gang. And now he's trying to get a slice of cake. This guy is really hard up. Yeah. yeah he looks like he's about 50 years old, and he's like... He's just always sponging off of people. He's a regular mooch. Yeah, I guess so. But he promises that in uh, trade for a piece of cake, he will write them a poem or something. So they give him a piece of cake. Yeah, Iceman wants him to keep the poem short. Zelda's kind of like, oh, that would be groovy. They decide to go dance to the band. Zelda feels that she's paying for this whole thing. Yeah, she's rich. She calls out to the band and says, how... Can you play a dreamy waltz with the cool cats up on stage? You're like, what? You're going to get us drummed out of the folk purist unions, you dig? <laughs> but Zelda's paying the tab, and these guys are hard up beatniks, so they're like, all right, we'll do it. <laughs> so they sell out. Vera tries to get uh, Hank to dance, but he's like, I don't know. I don't like girls. I mean, my <laughs> feet are just too big. I'm all toes when it comes to dancing. Cyclops and Jean Grey are dancing very closely, but they're not talking, they're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Awkwardest dance ever. Scott's finally starting to act as if I'm alive, just as I've always wanted him to. Or is he only being polite because I don't have a date? <laughs> I have to imagine that Cyclops's hands are just extremely cold and clammy right now. Yeah. <laughs> and she's holding on to his hands like, ugh. Is and they're this, all sweaty. Is this what is, ugh. <laughs> Cyclops is wondering if she's thinking about her college friend, Ted Roberts. 
But he still talks about how he's dreamed to tell her that he's loved her. I, wasn't it like a month or two ago or four or five issues where nothing on earth would stop her him from telling her how he felt? Yeah, it was about four issues ago. Ah, so whatever. And in walks Warren with um, Candy. Candy Southern. As we met a couple issues ago, I think, after he gave up his ambition for Gene. His last issue. Oh, his last issue? Wow. He introduces Candy to the rest of the group and tells them, uh, you can look, but don't touch. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and all the boys are excited, although Beast has nothing to say. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. And he says he bumped into her at a disco with a K. Uh, maybe that's how they spelt them back in the 60s. And then um, Bernard has his poem ready. Yep. And apparently he's reading his poem with a dancer, which, you know, it's the 60s. It's expressionist. No, there's a yeah. there's a crazy beat going on behind them. You got a clarinet and a guitar and then the dancer uh and then and then Bernard just just riffing on the beats, man. Yeah. A birthday like a comely lass from shadowed night. She does appear, yet all the while you know, alas, she'll only see you once a year. Groovy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Beast and Bobby are surprised that they actually understand what he's talking about. Somewhere along the line, oh, uh, Zelda says, Hush, Bobby, that's only the first of 13 stanzas. Yay! So we leave the coffee a go-go and visit the professor who's in his dungeon. You know, I think I've seen this panel before. Really? Yeah. Not the, the Bernard panel. You think you've seen the Bernard panel? Yeah, this one where he's reading the poem. It's like a dream I had or something. Really? I, yeah, I'm getting a sense of deja vu. <laughs> that's weird. Anyway, let's move on, but that's weird. <laughs> we should turn the page quickly. Um, so anyways, the professor, he's in his uh, dungeon laboratory with the ominous door sitting behind him, and he reveals that finally the final calculations have been made and the ultimate test can begin. He opens up. Well, he, he takes the key to open up the door, and it's very tense. We have to turn the page to see what's behind it. Hang on. So apparently, the professor, he can design Cerebro and Danger Rooms and all sorts of crazy electronic contraptions. But rather than securing whatever's behind this totally secret door that has his ultimate uh, uh, experiment or whatever, uh, he doesn't have like a series of keyboard keys or code or electronics uh, securing it. Merely a skeleton key. Well, you know. <laughs> I just find that interesting, you know. But, all right, so he opens up the door, as you said, with all the tensity. He was short of cash. <laughs> he ran out of, oh, that last Cerebro upgrade really uh, kind of took it out of my bank. Target's starting to sell real stuff now. <laughs> we'll just lock this door up with a skeleton key. And as we open up the door, we reveal... The juggernaut, Kane Marco, his evil stepbrother. But wait a second... I actually don't remember what happened at the last uh, at the end of the last saga, but it didn't. Well, he seem... actually he actually says, "Let's see." Um, there is kind of a flashback here, so it, it, that does help. Well, actually, oh, here it is. It's it's on the next page. Well, let's not jump too far ahead yet. We can jump forward and jump back. He yeah. basically says, "I turned him over to the authorities for treatment, but he has remained in a coma all this time after getting mind wiped." That's right. That's right. He was mind wiped. I forgot about that. For, uh, Mental blasted, I guess. Not mind wiped, but... Okay. Eventually I obtained custody of the Juggernaut, and now the moment of truth is at hand. So we flip back a page, and uh, the professor basically just goes through a quick recap of the origin of the Juggernaut, including their time in Korea, and finding the Lost Temple, and touching the Satorak Rock, and uh, the but the thing collapses on them, and the professor can only save himself. And then a quick little recap of how Angel took off his helmet, and that was the thing that gave the professor the uh, ability to mind-blast him or mental-bolt him or whatever he did. Right. Now we're all caught up. Okay. It's right up to uh, right up to the page, yeah. yeah. Nice job. Thank you. So back at the coffee a go-go. Bernard has finished his poem. There's some sort of noise outside. It sounds like a bunch of racing motors. But why? Holy Hannah! Look, they're coming straight at the window. It isn't possible. And, and then smashing through the window, it's the Dreadnoughts. Yeah, led by Zartan himself. Cobra! 
<laughs> Give us some grape soda. No, it's it's not. actually a fifty style motorcycle gang. They all have like Back to the Future two style sunglasses. <laughs> it's like the village people are riding motorcycles and crash to the windows. You got one guy <laughs> with a police hat, another guy with a military hat, and everyone's got stupid looking glasses. Not one pair of glasses is the same as another. No, but they're all green. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Zelda turned down a date from one of these guys. I, I guess the guy in the front, maybe. And uh, the, he he was very upset by that and yeah. decided to smash through a plate glass window and drive around in circles inside the Coffee A-Go-Go on five motorcycles. Threatening the entire party. Yeah, I would think that the party would be over at this point. Um. So, anyways, the they're circling. Isn't, the... isn't this the second time that happened? I I believe she turned down. Mm-hmm. Um, was it the mimic? Maybe I don't remember. But she turned down somebody else. I don't think it was. I don't. I don't. It think was it, the mimic. Was it the mimic? I don't yeah. know about that. Are you sure? She yeah, turned, well, she turned down. Yeah, I think you're right. She turned down Calvin Rankin, and he was all snotty about it. And that's when he... Beast and Bobby. Yeah, that's when he gained their powers for a moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, Zelda hangs with a tough crowd. Yeah, and doesn't date any of them. Apparently, her and Iceman are not exclusive. She prefers the square type, apparently. Yeah, I'm I'm a little confused as to... I mean, well, whatever. Okay, so... uh, there they are. Uh, so the X-Men are there, but they're in their civilian clothes, and they don't necessarily want to reveal, reveal their powers, so they're kind of trying to, they're, they're trying to figure out what the next step is to protect everybody in the room, yet not reveal their identities. So Bobby does the first thing. He pretends to slip, and, uh, and then he lays down an ice patch on the floor, causing the, I guess, someone named The Rock. Oh, okay, Rocky Rhodes, oh. the leader of the gang. And the gayest. Oh. Look at that hat. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's definitely the most uh, village people of the bunch. <laughs> so Rocky Rhodes hits the icy patch and goes sliding. And apparently crashes into the wall. I don't know. I'm not sure what he's crashing into, but it looks painful. He splatted against something, but it looks like his motorcycle kept going forward. So it's like the invisible girl was there and just put up a force field, but she's not yeah. there. So. Yeah, I don't know what happened there, but... Maybe it's a portion of the wall that doesn't come down to the floor. Yeah, it's a half wall, but from the ceiling down, not from the floor up. It looks like it's definitely a wall, because he breaks some of the, um, oh, the plaster the... off yeah, of the wall. Yeah. All right, so the the other guy, one of the other guys, I don't know who, he says, Okay, now it's time to start playing rough. The gloves are off. Oh, these guys, by the way, we didn't mention, they are Satan's Saints. Oh, that's kind of clever, actually. That's, that's their gang name, and if I ever start a gang, I'm not going to wear these ridiculous clothes, but I would pick Satan's Saints as a name. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. So like they, he goes driving towards uh, Warren and Cyclops, and uh, they are too well-skilled and trained, so they take the table and they put it at a 45-degree angle, and the guy on the motorcycle drives up on it as if it was a ramp and goes flying. Yeah. Okay, so I've driven a motorcycle before, and these look like about 750cc, so, you know, they're about, I don't know, five 600 pounds probably. These are strong guys. <laughs> well, I, well, not even that. I don't think the motorcycle would go up on it. I think it would just go right through. I mean, these tables, what are they made out of, steel? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Okay, so he goes flying, and he's, he's, he's out. Um, and he's hanging from the chandelier? No. Yeah, he ends up... Somehow flying off of his bike and landing in the chandelier. It's not a chandelier though. It's got like it's it's a it's a mobile, kind of like what you would hang over a baby's crib. But it's like it's, right, right. it's groovy for the coffee at Go Go, and he's stuck up on there, so he's part of the mobile now. You think that mobile will lower the property values around here? Heh 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 Everybody's cracking jokes this whole time. Nobody's kind of freaking out about the serious nature of a motorcycle gang destroying private property and and harassing everybody i mean this is straight out of mad max man yeah if one of these guys catches somebody they're gonna eat that person (laughs) (laughs) so anyways marvel girl doesn't want to get eaten so she uses a little bit of her telekinesis to uh drop some helmets over a guy's head and he's blind and he crashes into another guy she's pretty rough on these guys yeah well good finally 
And apparently there's one last guy, and he comes tearing off next to the beast, and the beast is... He's all like, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> he runs away. He's in the corner crying, snot dribbling down his nose. No, he is worried that his um, cover will be blown, So, but he doesn't care. He says he'll chalk it up to adrenaline. He jumps up onto a door jam and swings around and kicks the guy off of his motorcycle. Which typical beast is far more aggressive than he needs to be. It's really uncalled for. So everybody's down for the count. We go to the next page, and there are a lot of word balloons on here. The police are taking away all of Satan's saints mm-hmm. and uh, commenting that the the kids are a bunch of nice, normal kids. The X-Men are doing their best to do a little bit of damage control, being like, oh, yeah, we just, uh, you know, we're just clean living and Wheaties. That's why we were able to do what we did. East comments to Vera, I bet you're wondering how I did that, and Vera's like, nope. Just I s- assume you've just been watching old Tarzan movies on TV again. <laughs> These women just don't care. Nope, nope, nope. So then we go to the professor's lab. The professor is now, uh, he has the juggernaut in some sort of mind machine with a big helmet on his head, and he's lowering a helmet onto his head. Because they're going to do a... What are they going to do? He's going to attempt to send the powers that this Juggernaut has gained back to the Sinister Sidorak. Oh, and this is this machine that I was trying to describe. It is called an Energo Transformer. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, that should clear things up. And then, yes. so, the the thought is, is that once he casts the evil power out of Cain Marco, back to Sidorak himself, he will be able to work on the mental issues that Cain Marco has, and maybe he could have, like, a normal brother. He's just lonely. <laughs> so, he flicks the switch, and he can feel everything working, uh, but then another, an accident happens, basically. He is working fine. He feels perfect. He feels his own mind. He feels Cain Marco's mind. Um, he detects Sidorak. It's all working good. And then he detects another mind, um, and the machine isn't programmed for that. Nope it it can't. It can only handle the strain of two minds, not a third mind or, or mental presence, whatever you want to call it. So, so the, this mysterious mind causes the machine to. Uh, Explode with a room. Yeah, with a silent W. Room. Yeah. The professor goes falling to the ground. He's out for the count, and Kane Marco is, I'm free. He's busted through his chains, and he's he's very excited about this. And he said, nothing shall ever halt the juggernaut again. That's how he would talk. <laughs> he would go from the high pitch to the low pitch. That's just how he speaks. And he has no memory of any of the events uh, after him being struck by a mental bolt. Mm -hmm. So, handily, the professor has left behind the psionic helmet, and so the juggernaut grabs it and throws it on. Yeah, which is, why would the professor have that? I don't know. You would think it would be... You'd think he would, like, have destroyed it or gotten rid of it or buried it or something. Yeah, put it in a different room at the very least. If this is what presents... Pre- pre- prevents the juggernaut from getting his power back. Why, why would you keep it in the same room? <laughs> uh, I, professor's not very smart. We've already kind of covered that. I mean, he's he's book smart, but he's not street smart. <laughs> Did very... we mention that he's he the professor is unconscious? Yes, he is. He is definitely unconscious. He's out for the count. Uh, so the uh, yeah. Part of this mental process transfer energo transformer or whatever it was uh, accidentally or on purpose gave the juggernaut some of the professor's powers. So now he has the ability to mentally probe the entire building and he's now nothing is going to stop him from taking over the world. But first he's going to get revenge on the (laughs) X-Men and um, he's also going to leave the professor. Yeah. Yeah, so he leaves Itch. the professor in the lab and runs off. Why doesn't he kill the professor? Yeah, just a quick little step to his head. Well, they're brothers, so he's in the back of his mind, in the back of his Sidorak twisted, warped mind, he's kind of like, he is family. 
Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> so, Iceman is dropping off Zelda at her flat, and uh, they have a little bit of a conversation. Oh, I'm sorry, your party was ruined by motorcycle people. Don't worry about it, baby. Just kiss me. And they kiss. And a very explosive oh. kiss, because right behind them is exploding red. It's very exciting. And so Iceman's very happy. He runs down the stairs. You take Vera home already? Come on, I feel like racing all the way back to school. Beast is like, uh-huh, I see. He's like, let me talk to you about girls. <laughs> Did you kiss that girl? Are you <laughs> Girls sure? is not where you want to be. <laughs> are you sure that's the direction you want to take your life? <laughs> Remember, Bobby, there are many alternatives out there. <laughs> Beast? So then we go to, this is, this is a very soap opera-ish ep, uh, issue. I guess it was kind of the same in the last issue, too, where we're delving yeah. way more into the uh, interpersonal lives hey, of the X-Men, which is good. They I could guess. all be like, I, I like I like this. So, But I, I say that only because we move to the next page where Warren is sitting in, uh, I guess, uh, Candy's apartment, and he's talking about how she could always mix up a mean cup of cocoa. It's silly. I hope there's brandy in that cocoa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, whatever. So anyways, he's uh, he's getting ready to go because uh, it's time to go. Yeah, he's, he's, he's not going to make a move. He's, he's, uh, he tries to make a date with her, and she says she's got a long-standing appointment. Long-standing Actually, the date. Way that, you know, the way that these guys are talking to each other is very jokey, very, uh, you know, kind of, I don't know, unrealistic, but... But cutesy. Yeah. He's all like, you keep those cards and letters coming in, folks, and we'll be back picking and swinging for you real soon. At least I hope we will if you're free next Saturday, that is. Sorry, good neighbor. Sorry, good neighbor. I've got a long-standing date some other time, huh? Well, if at first you don't succeed, cry a lot. Till then, Mother Hen. Yeah. I mean, the thing about this is that I think I learned how to be romantic through comic books, and this explains a lot of my problems <laughs> in life. This explains why I've been so lonely. <laughs> um, no, I think both of these characters are deflecting from some personal tragedy that happened in their lives or something. Otherwise, there's no reason you would talk like this. Um, they're they're very silly. Yes. And, uh, yeah. This is how comic books ruined my life. Yeah. You should write Stanley an email. Say, hey, man, this is your Why fault. Why couldn't you be serious with your relationship comics? I don't know. Is this? Is it really all just goop? Like, is she playing hard to get, or does she literally have a long-standing date? And if it's a long-standing date, does that mean, like, oh, I'm really busy because I volunteer at the church, or, like, I'm actually dating another guy and actually kind of cheating on him this afternoon, this evening with you? <laughs> we don't know. Um, okay. It's a mystery. Hopefully we'll find out. So, uh, but we do find out that... Uh, Warren, as he leaves, he thinks to himself that, you know, he doesn't he doesn't want to get involved with her too fast because he's still on the rebound from, well, he calls it the mental rebound from Jean Grey. Sure. Well, that makes sense. That's probably the most serious thing that's been said on this whole page. While he yeah. didn't have a physical relationship with her, he had a mental desire, and now he's got to get over that that mental desire. Otherwise, and he wants to do that before he gets involved with Candy, which is very noble of him. Yeah, he, Again, can't, he can't be true to, to Candy unless he's over that. Yeah. yeah. Warren is the most mature of the X-Men. I agree. And so uh, Cyclops and Jean are strolling through the, a park somewhere. And, uh, yeah, we cut to the least mature of the X-Men, <laughs> Scott Summers. <laughs> Neither one of these people can communicate with each other either seriously or jokingly. And they essentially say nothing to one another, but think yeah, a lot. Yeah, lovely evening for a stroll, isn't it, Scott? As if I care whether it's clear or storming as long as I'm near you. Too bad we have to get back to the school right away. No, we can't go back. No, just not yet. Gene. And actually... You and the others must have wondered sometimes why I'm rather aloof. Sort of a loner. Maybe this is uh, Scott actually talking to Gene for the first time ever. He opened, this is a monumental moment. He opens up a little bit, talks about how deadly his eyes are and how he's always afraid that uh, he's going to hurt somebody. And Gene's kind of like, oh, I, I suppose I suspected as much. Still, you mustn't feel like you're totally alone. There are other people in the world, Scott, and some of them do care. 
She does not say like me. Yeah, no, she does not. But that's inferred. Come on, if I was like out in a stroll with the woman that I had a huge crush on, and she said something like that, I think I would use that as my opening. Like yeah, Eugene, yes, like me. Take off your pants. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Gene. I just had to get that off my chest. Try to find someone who understands. You know. Let's go, baby. I do understand, Scott. Believe me. And then she thinks to herself, and now that I do, Mr. Summers, I'll never rest till I break through the rest of that shell of yours and find out if it's Jean Grey you want or only pity. That's just sad. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing he just wants pity. That's what it seems like. (laughs) And uh, Cyclops... Okay, I know a lot of women, and... Women are not into pity. I'm sorry. <laughs> if she even gets an inkling that he's looking for pity, she would be like out that door so fast. She'd be calling Warren. Warren, I've, I need to talk to you. I've made some crazy choices in my life, but... You're mature. Yeah. I like you. <laughs> and you got a Mustang. <laughs> but Cyclops here, he detects that she does love me. I know she does, and I must tell her how I feel soon. Not like, today, not, not right now. now. But, but soon, <laughs> later... I made a major breakthrough. I gotta, I gotta leave it on this. A couple weeks, maybe. <laughs> All right. So, anyways, we we go back to the mansion where the juggernaut is staring. Hold on a sec. Well, yes, sir. Look at this lower panel of uh, Marvel Girl. Very, it's a very nice picture. Mm-hmm. Look at this picture of Warren. Also very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the top mm-hmm. in the first panel. Clearly, these drawings are made from like some sort of models. Like uh, they, they look like. At, like advertisements from the 60s. I would definitely say the one of Marvel Girl, you could use that head and then put like a Playtex logo next to it. Like, oh, it's good for me I, or something like that. Well, which panel are you talking of, the angel? The first panel or the second panel? The second panel. Yeah, where yeah. Where he's yeah. putting on his coat. Yeah, he could be like in an insurance ad or something. Or some sort of thing where, honey, I'm home. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I made shake and bake. <laughs> shake and bake, it's what's for dinner. I, I agree. These are definitely uh, those two particular panels are go beyond, I guess, maybe what's classic uh, comic book art and go more into. Yeah, it just goes to show that art has, or comic book art has always referenced, been referenced from the real world. Yeah, as it still is today. Well, I got to say, actually, this entire issue is pretty well drawn. I mean, it's not, it's not like blowing my mind or anything, uh, but it's, yeah. it, it's, it's very, it's, is standard the right word? Like everything looks good. But nothing is kind of standing out as like, wow, he he seems to have been really inspired. He just seems like he did some good drawings. I don't know. Does that make any sense? Well, he was inspired by that guy who did the warlock issue. <laughs> Maybe. Although he still isn't breaking up the panels too much. No, it's pretty much just six panels or eight panels, but, but pretty square. Nothing that's bleeding outside of the panels. But the art is good. The art is good. It's just I don't know. I know what you're saying. It's very it's very 60s, uh, but it's not. Jack Kirby was kind of out there, a little bit out there in terms of the time period. But this is this seems very standard. So Juggernaut's standing in the mansion. He's looking out the window, and Angel drives up in his Mustang. And Angel opens up the mansion door and decides that something's weird. So at some point, he changed into his Angel costume. This makes sense because he actually he notes the lights aren't on and he rem- he's remembering the time that he got uh, ambushed by Magneto. And we so, see, actually, we see the same um, suit of armor there in the entryway that I think was part yeah, of that. Yeah, it's a very nice touch. So yeah, it's kind of a, a hearkening back. Somebody at the Marvel bullpen is paying attention. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Angel flies through a whole bunch of corridors and bedrooms or whatever to try to find out where the professor is, but he can't find him, so he decides to go back to the basement, even though it has been off-limits for several weeks. Even There's a sign on the door that even says off-limits. <laughs> yep. But despite that, uh, Angel decides he'll take a quick look when out of nowhere he's attacked by somebody who uses Beast's maneuverability. Yeah, and uh, Beast's uh, linguistics. Oh, and it is Beast. <laughs> Weird. Which is okay. So I'm Beast. I'm I'm supposedly the smartest of the kids, and I see a winged man heading towards the the mansion doors. Do I automatically assume it's an enemy, or either mimic or the angel? Well, let's give Beast a little bit of credit. Let's assume that he sees a blur. 
and not like a winged figure. I guess the lights are off. Yeah. So still the question remains, do you attack this person? (laughs) I I don't know. Um, I don't think you do, but this is beast. He is a little impetuous again that he is, he is the most impetuous. (laughs) And so uh, somebody says, angel beast, stop. And we turns out that it's, Probably Cyclops who said it, because he's with Marvel Girl and Iceman, who are all also suited up. Yeah, the X-Men are a paranoid lot. Yeah. And seeing the lights off, they figure, uh-oh. Suit up. We better suit up. And that's when all of a sudden they hear a large ree, and it turns out that it's Cerebro, which means there's an enemy mutant nearby. They better go check out the machine and find out who that enemy is. And they discover that it's actually them, which I have a question. Yeah. Um, weren't, didn't we discover a couple of, like, maybe 12 issues back that the, uh, the tags, the name tags here are, like, actual name tags that you have to slide into the machine? Uh, uh, yes. So, why would the professor have made name tags of the mutants that he is teaching? I mean, is this, like, just a precautionary thing? Do you remember the ep, or the issue in which Beast... They everybody thought Beast went rogue, and that's when he met Eunice. Oh, so maybe the 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 professor is just being all paranoid, and yeah, if one of them should turn. I better make evil mutant tags for them. <laughs> well, here's what I think: the professor made uh, an upgrade to Cerebro because I think Cerebro has been upgraded, destroyed, modified, whatever, a few times since since the inception of Cerebro. I think. Do you remember? Um, do you remember Family Feud? Yeah, and the host would say, "Show me milk at the grocery store," and the thing would flip around, and it was like a thing that had three tags on it. Uh-huh. It's one of those. So hmm. that's how, because there's only six spaces there, but there's more than six mutants on the planet right now. So when Mastermind shows up, it flips around and it's very analog and mechanical, and it says Mastermind. Show me Mastermind. Bing bing. Well, how convenient that he put each one of the X-Men's names on a different tag. Well, yeah. Do you think that tag that isn't being used is for Professor X? Actually, it's probably Mimic. Bottom line, I see what you're saying, and I don't know why their names are referenced on Cerebro. But anyways... Paranoid old man. um, Something makes a thum... And in what seems like... Troy's Cerebro Beyond Repair. Something happens. Oh, it rocks the whole building, and Cerebro falls in on itself and is completely destroyed. Not good uh, hardware there. No, terrible. If my computer fell over, I don't think it would be destroyed. I... Your computer is not as big and as complex and per- perhaps as fragile as the Cerebro. Longing for the days when Cerebro is a helmet. <laughs> Cerebro wander... Or no. The X-Men wander down to the lab again because the sonic vibrations seem to come directly from below. Do you suppose? So they head down to the lab and they're walking down the stairs when all of a sudden the stairs turn into a big slidey ramp <laughs> because presumably the professor was so paranoid that he built in trap stairs. Yeah, how is that really a perfect... Protective device, though. I mean, it just causes you to get down the stairs faster. <laughs> I can get my enemy to me quicker. Well, wasn't it a couple of issues ago or last it? No, uh, the um, the warlock issue where he said, bring me closer. So we've already established that for some reason the professor now has a new proximity sensor on his uh, uh, okay, okay. mind wipe. So the slide just helps him get quicker or closer to him quicker. Now there is a voice in the other room taunting them. Yeah. I'm no mere prankster, as you shall soon learn, to your ultimate dismay. And Angel and Marvel Girl are able to uh, support themselves and not fall at the bottom of the stairs. The other three X-Men are all tangled up in each other, and Angel feels that they need time to regain their balance. Not that anybody is approaching them or anything. No, but Cyclops... uh, Actually, Beast and Cyclops make kind of the right choice, saying, Hey, hey, hey. Come on, we got to stay together. Haven't we learned this lesson yet? But Angel's like, nope, you guys need time to get your bearings, which is the most ridiculous thing ever. And then just takes off going straight into the other room where the voice is coming from, mm-hmm. in into a stack of crates. 
and um, he figures the whoever the voice comes from is behind the stack of crates, and then the stack of crates explode, knocking Angel unconscious. Way to go, Angel. <laughs> Great plan. Most mature, not the smartest. <laughs> and the weakest. I'm the weakest one. My only power is the ability to fly, so what I'm going to do is hurl myself headlong into a stack of crates. Well, anyways, so he's out for the count. Uh, and they, every, oh, it's the juggernaut, but he was turned over to the authorities. He can't be here. He can't. <laughs> Get over it, Marvel girl. <laughs> so apparently we're in the denial stage. <laughs> At some point, we're, we're going to come with the pleading stage, and then we'll get to acceptance. But until <laughs> that time. And here's where the juggernaut says, soon you shall all be united in death. Referring to the fact that the professor may perhaps be dead. Oh. Um, Beast is shocked death, you can't mean. And then uh, the Juggernaut says, well, I didn't lure you down here so I could talk to you. So basically what the Juggernaut is saying is, I want to kill all of you. Yeah. And I already think the professor is dead. Now, he could have snapped his neck just to be sure. (laughs) Stepped on his head. Yeah, any anything, you know. Ripped his head off, stepped on his heart. Yeah, just... A lot of things. Sat on him. If he really wants the professor... Uh, I don't know, just not smart. Just not smart. I, look, I'm just saying that he's got a little bit of morality left in the back of his mind. That, that he's he, he, he wants the professor to be dead, but there's kind of a little thing in the back of his head saying, No, he's your brother, he's family. All right. That's, look, it's all, it's all <laughs> I can go for. Otherwise, I can just say that he's stupid, just like all the other villains. And Angel. Uh, so we get a little bit of... Uh, we get one panel of, I guess, fighting. Angel, or not Angel's out, but Beast goes for the attack. Iceman starts sliding around him. Marvel Girl decides she's going to try to use the same trick as last time to loosen the helmet so somebody can and tear it off. Which yeah, Beast, they're using teamwork, which is pretty nice. Yeah, which Beast attempts to do, but apparently uh, the Juggernaut now has a force field that can halt tele, uh, Marvel Girl's telekinetic bumbling and repel the Beast into the Iceman. I don't know where this force field came from because it's not a per- power of the Professor. He just discovered it. <laughs> yeah. well, oh, maybe he's had it this whole time? Yeah, well, he didn't know. Juggernaut's like that. He'll, he'll, I think he had a force field type power. Did he? Uh, but I don't remember him using it in this way. I'd what? have to go back and see, and I'm not going to do that. I, in in the last uh, Juggernaut saga, you think he had a force field? Yeah, I seem to recall there being like an an aura around him. There may have been an aura of Sidorak, but I don't think it was a force field. Well, regardless, we're not going to look it up. So. <laughs> uh, Juggernaut comments into in his internal monologue that uh, he can uh, he can read everybody's minds, so he knows exactly what everybody's planning. So this is really kind of a cakewalk for him. Yeah. Hank and Bobby are out of commission, just like the Angel, and so it's just Cyclops and Marvel Girl. Cyclops says we got to die trying to stop him. So in the next page, Cyclops shoots him. In the chest, but it actually kind of looks like he slapped him across the face. Oh yeah, it does. <laughs> but he does not actually slap him across. No, he's the face. actually shoving Marble Girl aside. Yeah, Marble Girl, you must escape to warn the others that the Juggernaut walks again. That's right, escape. Yes, I oh, must. to warn others, not the others. I yeah. guess maybe the Avengers or something. Yeah, Fantastic Four, Avengers, Spider Man, somebody. So she can't climb the stairs, but she can use her telekinesis to levitate her. So she's working on that. It takes her many panels to work on that. <laughs> Cyclops is blasting away, and he can feel, uh, I think, the Juggernaut pushing back against his... Yeah, the Juggernaut continues team. just walking towards him at a lumbering pace. Mm-hmm. And he smacks the ground. The Juggernaut smacks the ground, and Marvel... Well, Girl... no, I think he actually smacks um, Cyclops's head. No way. Because Cyclops is out in the next panel. Juggernaut is approaching... Cyclops, he's got his hands up in the air and they're kind of in a shaking fisty motion and then the next page there's a big quam as Juggernaut's hand lands on something. You're saying it's his head. I'm saying if that's his head, 
he is dead. <laughs> so Cyclops is dead. You heard it here first. <laughs> his head had to have been pushed into his chest based on the force of that uh, downward punch. Maybe his shoulders. I don't know. All right. So, uh, so Cyclops is dead. Okay, Cyclops is dead. And it was such a powerful um, hit on Cyclops' head that even though Marvel Girl is levitating, so she's fully in the air, she's shaken because of the reverberations. Marvel Girl falls off of the stairs due to the uh, sonic waves by the, the hit of Juggernaut. Juggernaut says, now only the female mutant is left to oppose me. Scott was closer to the blow than I and was knocked out. See, I think it was that line of dialogue that made me think that maybe he did actually just hit the floor. Oh, okay. That's possible then. But Okay, uh, yeah, you're right. So Juggernaut's just terrible at this whole villainy thing. He doesn't take out the professor when he had the opportunity, and he's literally, he's like 18 inches away from Cyclops' head, and his arms are a good, what, 36 inches long? I mean, look at those monsters. <laughs> he could have easily, well, anyway, so he doesn't. Uh, Cyclops is not dead. His head is not shoved into the cavity of his chest. Damn, I thought we were getting real, man. Yeah, jeez. But anyways. Oh, we should also point out that Cyclops knows that Juggernaut can read minds. Yeah, he's he figured that out. He figured it out. That's because he's the leader. So, uh, Plus Juggernaut is kind of blatantly pointing it out. Marvel Girl's kind of like, I'm going to stop you because as long as one X-Men's alive, there's somebody to oppose you. And Juggernaut's just like, mental bolt. And <laughs> Marvel Girl falls over. A lot of hubris, not a whole lot of uh, action to back it up. So finally, the Juggernaut has triumphed. He has won a final victory. And now for the crowning touch... He decides that he's going to destroy maybe the mansion. I'm not really sure, but at very at the very least, his dungeon laboratory by bringing it all down on top of the professor and the students. Again, not not taking time to actually just kill them. I like this and I don't like it. Yes, he could have killed him, but what he is doing is kind of recreating the part where he was buried alive, oh. which is maybe smart. It's a call, it, it's a callback. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay. Kind of neat. In the middle of this, he gets contacted by a mysterious voice. No, Juggernaut, forget the professor. It is time to concern yourself with more important matters. And it turns out that it's Factor 3. Who would dare command the Juggernaut? I'd forgotten about Factor 3. Yeah, so would I. Uh, but apparently, the writers of the comic book have not. <laughs> it will be time for talk later. Right now, you must steal a transatlantic jet and join us in our secret base in Europe. No one tells the Juggernaut what he must do. Yet, Xavier appears dead, and the mutants hold no interest for me now, so I choose to come with you of my own free will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing this because you asked me to do it. I'm doing it because I want to. Yeah. And because the professor appears dead. Yeah, so, you know. I'm, I'm not just going to make sure or anything. It's that voice in the back of his head, like, God, don't worry, your brother's dead. I promise. So, by fate. Uh, fate moves in strange ways, occasionally even in the guise of a broken water pipe. Ooh, that's deep. Did Bernard write that piece? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, water starts filling up the laboratory, and in a panel reminiscent to that classic one of Spider-Man underneath all the pipes, uh, Beast lifts himself out of the water. See, this reminds me of the Wolverine one, where he's, like, trapped, alone, surrounded by impossible odds. Was that from the Wolverine comic book? No, it's from the X-Men when he's trapped under the Hellfire Club. Oh, man. Oh, we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> uh, and so the Beast decides he's going to revive everybody else, and he does. So even though... Um, the Juggernaut smashed the room to try to bring it down on him. Really, it's just a couple of pieces of wood laying there and some water. There's no, well, you know, and, and a whole lot of bricks underneath the water. It, it's already flooded too high to see the rest of the damage. I, look, the, the water's barely even covering their boots. <laughs> it's like four inches deep, tops. It's rubble. It's just, it's off panel. Oh, all right. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> if you say so. Uh, they they decide that they need to find the professor, but they don't know where he is. And it's at this point that uh, Beast says, well, what about his lab? We never did get in there. You were right, Hank. Look. So they rescue the professor, who is still breathing, but almost imperceptibly. Yes, because Angel has the qualifications to make that determination. 
So how'd he pick him up? Uh, Angel's always the guy that seems to be uh, picking up and carrying the professor around. You'd think it'd be Beast due to his strength, or, or Marvel Girl to use the um, telekinesis to just kind of levitate him, you know? Well, Angel can fly, so, you know, just in case. Yeah. Uh, Marvel Girl finds the switch to change the stairs back from a slide to actually a set of stairs. Good girl, Jeannie. <laughs> now go make us some sandwiches. All that fighting's made us hungry. Iceman notes that uh, the juggernaut is on the loose. So uh, presumably the basement is still flooding because the water pipes busted and they went upstairs, put the professor in his bed, and at some point the water's going to come rising and uh, uh, take the take the whole mansion away. That's what I was thinking. They don't call a plumber, and nobody, uh, you know, nobody fixes it. Put some plumber's tape around it. Nothing. They just let it go. They're kids, though, I suppose. No, no real world experience. But uh, anyhow, um, they all comment about, oh, I hope the professor doesn't die because if he does, no amount of power will save that walking powerhouse. Boy, they all tough talk. They all talk tough when the juggernaut's not around. Yeah. And the juggernaut is walking in a kind of a clumsy pose in the moonlight i guess yeah he's he's gonna walk to europe <laughs> yeah they told me to steal a jet but i'm not listening to them i'll I'll show them that i'm my own person i'm walking i care nothing for the group called factor three which freed me for its own purposes but if there's powerful that i expect together we can form a team which can propose the world and triumph huh. those two statements seem diametrically opposed yes <laughs> I don't like cake, but this cake here looks delicious. I think I'll eat it. Yum, yum, cake. Next issue, the invincible, unstoppable juggernaut is on a rampage. Plus, into the crimson cosmos of Sidorak. This one, you gotta see. Tiger. <laughs> oh, tiger. And there you go. It's the beginning of a two-parter. Fantastic. That was a pretty good issue, I thought. It was a lot quicker of a read, and that's not a bad thing. It's the it's the longer reads that I kind of dread because it's all a lot of wordy exposition and dialogue towards their battles, which are frankly less interesting than the character building of the villains and the good guys and the relationship. So while I did make the comment earlier about the whole soap opera aspect of the issue, it's kind of nice to build up the characters and see what makes them tick instead of just all the fighting yeah, this issue was about half soap opera, half fighting, and, and I think that's about right. That's how it should be. Oh, yeah. It's a good issue. All right. We agree. <laughs> I hope you people out there in Internet land enjoyed it as, as much as we did, and I hope that you're visiting us at uh, www.redcatproductions.com forward slash danger room or facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast or visiting us on iTunes and leaving some feedback. Speaking of which... I think we actually got a little bit more feedback a couple of, a couple of days ago, so that's cool. Look, we always like to see those. Yeah, who is it? Special K two two one nine nine zero. I can only imagine that Special K is was born in nineteen ninety. Hmm. Or there's two hundred and twenty one thousand eight hundred and eighty nine other Special Ks on iTunes, and this was <laughs> the next number that was available. Well, thank you, Special K, big long number after your name. We certainly appreciate the feedback. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, we thank you for that, and we in- encourage and enjoy hearing from our listeners. I think in an upcoming episode, we should read all the names of the Facebook users. If you want to hear your name on our show, maybe two or three episodes from now, we will uh, read everybody's names. So, so join us on Facebook and and like our page, and we will totally read your name in an upcoming episode. Also, you can email us at uh, DangerRoom at RedCatProductions.com and visit us on our Twitter page. At DangerRoomGo. Thank you. And uh, that's, that's all I got. Fantastic. All right. Well, until next time, the Danger Room is closed. I got to the the G.I. Joe issue where they started interfacing with the Transformers second generation. I stopped before that. <laughs> it's really, it's, that's, it's a bad, it's, I don't understand what's happening. And I guess I, I'm focusing too much on the continuity because I understand that Transformers second generation is after like, um, like Rodimus Prime and, Space Transformers, 
Mm-hmm. But it's all like Bumblebee and Optimus Prime and Jazz and Megatron. I don't know. Continuity-wise, doesn't make any sense because I thought they were all destroyed, and then new Transformers came and took their place. I yeah, yeah I I don't know. I've never <laughs> read those issues. Oh well. Anyways, speaking also of um, uh, Transformers, in this particular issue in the Marvel bullpen section, which I don't know if you have in your omnibus, Herb Trimpey joins the uh, Marvel cast, if you will. Do you know who he but- is? Uh, his name is very familiar. He was, I think, the primary artist on Transformers, the comic book, and also he did a few issues of G.I. Joe. You're going to read the Transformers after you finish G.I. Joe, aren't you? No, I already read all the Transformers. Actually, I don't know if I read them all, because whoever was, it was oh, who, who was writing it? I can't remember it. But he also wrote, like, the statistics for the Hasbro uh, toy line. Oh. Uh, well, Larry Hammer wrote the G.I. Joe ones. Larry Hammer wrote G.I. Joe, but this other guy, ah, I can't remember who it was. He wrote all the Transformer stuff. And actually, if you go to YouTube, there's a, there's interviews of like, how'd you get the ideas for the things? And you'd be like, oh, they sent me the Transformer mock-ups, and I would write like the backstory and decide what their powers were, blah, blah, blah. Well, anyways, he was trying to write a really good, um, he was trying to write a really good comic book, but it felt like as you read it, Hasbro was giving him pressure to be like, okay, now you need to introduce Dinobots. Now you need to introduce Insecticons. Now you need to show off our next line. Now you need to show our next line. Because he was working on this story arc where Optimus Prime had died, but they were bringing him back. And so, like, they were almost there to, like, bringing Optimus Prime back. And then the very next issue, like, all of those Transformers were gone. They were in space. They were in that stupid spaceship Transformer that turns from, like, a dog to a bird to a space shuttle, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. And, like, they basically just started a whole new story arc and, like, just left all those other threads dangling. And I think I read, like, two more issues, and I was like, this is stupid, and I was done. <laughs> <clears throat> Anyhow, I'm, like, 11 issues away from the end of G.I. Joe. Well, you know, recently, Larry Hama uh, has started writing from issue 156. Of what? Of G.I. Joe. Get out of here. Yeah. Really? So, it's back. Oh, crazy. I think there's a 155.5, which is there's a the there's a one fifty there's a one fifty five point or one fifty five B. It says one fifty five on the cover. Uh-huh. It was written like ten years later, I think, and it's drawn by Todd McFarlane. Really? Yeah, I have it. Oh. I just have it. I'm going to read that in sequence after after one fifty five proper, and then I want to well, read all the uh, the dark whoever those other comic. Place devils do, etc. You're gonna read those? Oh yeah. You you should. Those <laughs> also take place after, but yeah, but they um, I think they kind of they kind of work within the same continuity. Yeah, they do. Yeah. But they I've read them and they're not that great. No, um, you should uh, if you're gonna pick up from where it left off, you should pick up the Larry Hamm issues, which started last year, I think. I I'll, I'll get there. Don't tell, right, well, don't, don't tell me what to do. You're going to be jumping ahead in continuity, and then you're just going to jump backwards in continuity. That's fine. It's going to be like reading two separate... You're going to be reading two timelines of continuity. <laughs> one that's real because it was written by Larry Hama, <laughs> and one that's not real because it was written by Devil's Do. 